0: I'm Devorah vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Hey, good morning, good morning. So here we are in the middle of a major lockdown. And I just wanted to begin the class with a little story that um, I heard from Robinson Carfunkel that I thought was very uh, a very beautiful message of reframing, which is so much of what we need to do when it comes to anger as well. That sometimes when we're able to reframe the situation Uh, we come to a a place of clarity and understanding and realize that uh, sometimes our responses are not really based on the clarity that we're all hoping for. Um, This is a bit of a different take on something, but I thought it was interesting. She was saying that she had gone to visit her mother. Marlene was in this class with me, I believe, She'd gone to visit her mother and she has a little child, a little baby, and in her mother's home, the only place that's really childproof was a room upstairs with toys in it, and so Rifki Carfunkel, if you know her, rebbitson Rifke took her baby up there and was playing with her baby there with the door closed And after a little while, a few, you know, minutes later, all of her other kids wanted to join her in that room, and so did her mother. And before you knew it, there were six people in this small room with the door closed, um, you know, happily playing and being together. Anyway, she said she all of a sudden had this thought, and she said, wow, could you imagine if this was the room, if this was the room that we had to stay in, in this way? during covid and then of course it didn't take her long to go from that thought to the thought this was the room for a lot of people during the holocaust people were stuck in a room that big with that many people and they were the lucky ones they were the lucky ones she explained you know the unlucky ones had gone to auschwitz And, you know, not only were they stuck in a room like this, but imagine, obviously, we know from all of us, and many of you who are children of Holocaust survivors, you know, getting food, being able to even talk, you weren't even allowed to speak uh, unnecessarily keeping kids quiet. Um, Anyway, I just thought it was a very uh, insightful thought about how to reframe How fortunate we are, as difficult as the situation has been for everyone, you know, on some in more extreme ways, others in less extreme ways. But, you know, our lives are not being threatened. uh, And, you know, we're not stuck in one little room. And so with so many things in life, when we reframe, we recognize how fortunate we really are. In Israel, there are bomb shelters, right? Bracha Kasman is telling us people are in bomb shelters. So, um, yeah, that's where a lot of people would have to go if they were in trouble. So we're very fortunate in many ways. Okay, um, we started to speak last week, and I'm going to give a little bit of a review. But one of the things we said about anger is that anger is likened to a votazara to worshipping a strange God. And uh, the definition of Avodah Zarah is to believe in something other than the existence of God. So the truth is, as many of us believe that Hashem exists, of course, all of us believe that Hashem exists, but that's not the problem when it comes to anger. The problem is that people believe they also exist. Uh, Let me explain what that means. So with a story, there was a man who was on Yom Kippur, who was in Shul, and he was very, very pious. He was dovening up a storm. He was saying the longest vidui in Shul. You know, he was crying. Everybody could hear him. He was obviously so remorseful for his sins. But when the time for the Torah reading came around and they gave him an aliyah, he felt that the aliyah they gave him was very much beneath him. And he blew up at everybody around him. So the person next to him said, I don't understand what's going on with you. You've been so busy, busy saying, Vidu'a. you've been so busy crying and being remorseful for everything. You've been yelling out, Anochi afor I'm nothing but dust and ashes. And now all of a sudden you're, you're taking a fit. What's going on? And he said, well, yeah, you know, what I was doing before was for Hashem but these imbeciles, you know, they, they don't deserve anything. So, you know, this is basically at the core of anger is that we make ourselves larger. Our existence is bigger than Hashem's existence, because we know that when we're full of gaiva of arrogance, God basically says, I cannot be in the same room with an arrogant person. In other words, He says, this world is not big enough for the two of us, for the person, because the source, as as we said last week, the source of arrogance is everything has to go my way. And so much at the root of our anger is this feeling of a loss of control. You know, part of our homework was for everybody to see those places where they get angry, when they get angry. We said one of the ways you can know what kind of anger you've been endowed with from birth is by measuring the frequency, the intensity, and the duration of the anger. This lets you know which category of angry people you belong in. One of the things that we have had to give up control over many of us is being able to do our own shopping. I don't know about you, but I had an episode yesterday where, you know, I, somebody offered to shop for me and, you know, inevitably, and I'm sure this has happened to everyone here, they just, you know, you could be as specific and as detailed as possible about what you want. And it's like, they don't get that thing, you know, or they get, they get the wrong thing or they pick the lettuce that's already got the due date. Uh, finished and it's like water or you know everybody sends their husbands shopping for vegetables and you're like did you notice that like tomato is soft you know whatever it is anyway the point is is I think for most women it's very difficult for me for sure to give up control of being able to go to the supermarket myself and pick out the things that that I know with my eyes closed I want in my pantry. And when you all of a sudden are giving that over to other people. So it's almost like you have to prepare yourself for disappointment ahead of time. You have to have absolutely no expectations. And the posture that you have to have is whatever this person did or brings me, I am grateful for. And this is really the posture of a humble person again. The I existing is so big when we are out of control or feel that, you know, uh, that we're not being able to control the situation or other people that the antidote to it, obviously we spoke about for a second last week is humility and humility is getting out of the way, getting yourself out of the way so that you make a bigger space for God. Obviously, when people bring you the wrong thing, again, it's not why did you do this? How stupid could you be? I, I told you plain and in plain language, you, you were nodding your head. You seem to understand, right? And yet, you didn't deliver. You know, it's interesting. My husband was saying that, you know, we gave somebody a list and what he wanted, they didn't bring because there wasn't any in the store. So he was saying, you know, is he going to get angry? Is he going to get upset when they say there wasn't any? On the other hand, the things I ordered, they brought, but completely different than what I ordered. So, of course, you know, so much has to do with your mind, with your attitude, right? Well, you know, he said, am I going to get angry at them because it wasn't in the store? Obviously, I'm not. But. Should I be getting angry at them because maybe it was in the store, but they didn't pick that right thing? So truthfully, if we're always going back to this idea of not why is he doing this to me, or why is this happening to me? Why is she doing this to me? But bringing it up to the larger picture of why is Hashem doing this to me? And we know that Hashem is, we're in training school. Hashem is simply trying to help us evolve to make ourselves into less self-centered people and more God-centered people. You know, there's a famous story about a a movie mogul. I think it was Samuel Goldwyn, who was once being interviewed on a talk show. And he'd been talking about himself for well over 20 minutes. And finally he stopped and he said to uh, to the guy interviewing, he said, you know what, enough about me. Let's talk about you. So what do you think of me? You know, so this idea that, yes, we believe God exists, but we also believe we exist. Meaning that our sense of our own existence eclipses our understanding theoretically of our knowledge that God exists. And the work of, get, of, of being more in control of ourselves is through relinquishing control and recognizing how little we are in control of, and how what you know, how small we really are. And the only thing that matters is our responses. And Hashem is going to give us lots of opportunities every day to continuously work on our humility, which is. Again, what is the antidote for anger, which is rooted in arrogance? Okay, so let's quickly review, based on the Ramchal, the path of the just, in the chapter on Nikias, on cleanliness, the four types of angry people, also listed in the Mishnah and Pirkei so we said the most angry person is, actually has a name he's called a rugzan. And this is a person who is constantly angry. It takes nothing for him to fly off the anger. The frequency is a 10, right? He gets angry at anything done against his, his will. There's nothing logical about it. He's like the one who worships a Zara. His frequency and intensity is very very high. His tolerance threshold is very low. His heart is not with him. He loses control of himself all the time. Okay? That's the extremely angry person. Number two, we said the second level is a person who is not angered by every single thing done against his will. But when he is angered, he gets very, very angry. So again, the frequency is not like the first category but the intensity is when he gets angry whoa watch out and this is the person in the Mishnah that we say is uh it's hard to anger him but wow when you get him angry it's very hard to appease him okay so it's an intensity and a duration issue okay category number three These are the people who don't get angry over little things. And when they get angry, it's minimal. They don't blow up. They don't go crazy. This is the kind of person, again, that we said is um, very much featured in my Hakpada series. This is the person who holds on to his anger. He may not respond in a very intense way, but the duration... What did Beth say last night? They're the people who are going around and justice collectors, right? They're collecting all the injustices against themselves and they're just piling them up inside of their themselves and holding it in there in a place where, again, if you listen to the Hakpada series on the podcast, very toxic because it's like you're pouring the poison for somebody else and drinking it yourself. So those are the people who don't get angry often, but boy, when they do, it, they really hold on to it. Okay, just to, for people who are new, just a, a, a fun foundational idea that all of my students know about, but we said that number one, people are born with a certain home air. Some people are born more angry than other people, right? And that God does not judge us based on our primary response. In other words, everybody gets angry. There's nobody who doesn't get angry. There is a fifth category of people that we said are like Hillel Hazakin, who never get angry. And this is a gift that Hashem gives them. But they are very rare and very few. But the, the regular people, most of us, right, we all have things that trigger us, that get us angry. But we are not responsible for that primary response, but we are responsible for the secondary, what we do, how we... Um, rebound after we've been triggered, how quickly we rebound, the kind of tools we use to rebound, you know, what we put in place so that we come back quickly, we get back in the game without too much damage being done. So that this is all where our free will kicks in. Okay, so what I want to do today is to go on a little bit more in the analysis of these four levels. And, um, and then we're going to go from there into a little bit more of a practical approach to anger. What Devorah, Devorah yes. what was the fourth one? You didn't say the fourth. The fourth one is person. somebody is difficult to anger. And when he's angered, he's not destructive. Oh, right. The fourth one is, is also like a very high level. So the first one gets angry for 1 second in other words the the duration is very brief and 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 he rebounds very quickly. So he doesn't hold on to it. You know, he's able to let it go or talk to the person or you know recognize that it's not the person Hashem is sending him this opportunity for growth or he's able to laugh about it. These are all different tools that we covered in Hakpada, where he's able to recognize, again, that this is from Hashem, and it's an area that he needs to grow in. So that's a person who's really developed. So they get angry for a minute, but they're also able to rebound very quickly. Okay, we're really going to talk about the first two now, because those are where most people fall. Actually, the first three. Can you hear me? Yeah, hi, Renee. one question. Yeah. Hi. And the Rakhazan always gets angry and what? What was the part of that? Angry and he doesn't cool down easily either. He he he's just he flares up. Okay. Second. Let me just check. Maybe he flares down really quickly too. He's got to to get ready for the next time, right? <laughs> Which is coming in five minutes. So um, yeah, so I think he's he's uh, one second. Let me just make sure. Yeah, the frequency and the intensity is very high. So, in terms of the duration, in his case, it doesn't matter because okay. he's going to get angry again. You know, if you look at, a is it Deborah that's frozen? I I think it's just Devora. Yeah, I have no sound. Devora, you're muted. All right, is that better? Yes. Am I unfrozen? Yes. Okay, great. Okay. So, okay, the first category, the rug's has a very difficult home air. Again, he was born this way. Okay. And it's part of his wiring. And the wiring is basically the message that we all say when we get angry, which is that everything must go my way, my way or the highway, right? It has to be the way I want it. We very often associate a type A personality to this type of anger, to this type of person. A type A personality is somebody who's, you know, perfectionistic, has a low frustration tolerance, and can be very high maintenance people because they have a need for things to go their way. Now, Dina Schoonmaker, who this class is based on, points out that sometimes a person has this angry kind of temperament because it's there, it could be biological, it could be hormonal. It can be that they're missing certain vitamins, that these kind of things, it's, it's medical. And, you know, it could be corrected. And she gives an example that, you know, if suddenly a person becomes more jumpy or more angry, and that's not their nature, that's not the way they usually respond, this is the first place they should look into, into the biological piece. And she tells a true story about a neighbor of hers who she knew, who was suddenly yelling and screaming all the time. And everybody could hear her, you know, everybody lives on top of each other in Israel and apartment buildings and everybody could hear her screaming and yelling. And she really was wondering what was going on because she had never heard this before. And a few months later, she'd met this woman on the street and the woman said to her, you know. I just had a baby a few months ago, and this never happened to me before, but I suffered from a hormonal imbalance afterwards. And that's why I was, I just couldn't stop screaming. I was, you know, postpartum depression, I don't know, whatever, all of these different things that can happen to women. And this was the reason, or she gives another example. She says, you know, if you have a child who has always been a very happy kid, and then suddenly they become very intense and they fly off the handle about everything. So she said there was an example of this also that she heard of where this kid was finally diagnosed and it turned out he had epstein bars syndrome or, you know, he had, mon- in one case, yeah, they, he had mono. So again, it's very important to, if it's something that isn't usual, to realize there could be a biological component to it. But these people, this first group of people, the ragzan, are people who others are very careful around because they know they're not easy people. Um, it's interesting. She says that she once met a homeopathic doctor who was talking about anger in this way. She said that um, if you put a kettle on a very high flame, you know, the, the water boils out of that and there's nothing, when there's no water left in the kettle, the kettle will start smoking and shaking. And she explained that people who are all of a sudden getting angry for no reason, it could be brought on by dehydration. So there's another biological source that we would never think of, you know, have a a few drinks of water, uh, you know, lubricate your body and maybe you'll feel better. Okay, so the second category of people are the people who don't get angry as often, but when they get angry, they get really angry. So these are generally, generally people who are intense. They have an intense nature. And even though they might be generally flexible, if you get them going on a topic that is a very intense topic to them, they will respond in a very intense way, meaning it could look like anger. Now, there's something called SUDS, S-U-D-S, and that stands for Subjective Units of Distress. And this is how they measure anger in psychological terms. And they'll ask a person, how angry does this topic make you from zero to 10? So these people in category number two are people who can go from zero to 10 in moments. They get very revved up. They care a lot. They're intense about everything. These are the same people who are intensely happy, right? Intensely thankful. They're just intense people. So when you get these kind of people on a topic that bothers them, they could get very intense very quickly. Now, these people manifest at times as being extremely easygoing and laid back, and friendly in certain uh, situations, right? Maybe they're like this at work. Maybe they're like this with their friends. But behind closed doors, they could be a completely different person, right? In their homes, for example, when intense things happen or things happen that they don't like, they can blow up and become, to the people who know them best, not the laid back friendly, relaxed people that they show to the world. I'm sure we all know people like this, if it's not us ourselves. (laughs) Um, So when you get on a topic that bothers them, they get very intense and they're very different. So the difference between category one and category two is that the rugs on everybody knows that this is not an easy person. They're the same wherever they go. People are in eggshells around them. They know not to like cross them because it's not worth it, okay? But category two people are people who are very surprised when this person gets angry because that person seems so easygoing and sweet. That's how they're known in the community, as even tempered, as good natured. But these are the people who can go from a zero to a 10 very quickly when they're triggered, who can, so to speak, lose their moach, right? We said a melech is somebody who their mind is controlling their emotions, which is controlling their klaim, or their actions, as opposed to a lemach, right? Where we just reverse the letters of the word melech to the word lemach, which is a fool, where the lave, the heart, the emotions are ruling the moach, the mind, and thereby affecting the way one behaves so this is the person who you know their mind seems to be intact most of the time but boy oh boy when they get triggered very quickly are they are they are they moved to a place of anger and and they're seen differently by different people it depends who who who's around them you know which side of themselves is going to show So they're triggered by a topic. People can be triggered by a topic, right? Religion and money are always big topics in people's lives. They can be triggered by a certain person. Here comes little natural disaster or big natural disaster coming my way, right? Uh, And they could even be triggered by the time of day. You know, this is my tired time of day. This is when I'm really forcing myself to put a smile on my face. To make dinner, to, you know, overcome the um, stresses of my body that are telling me I just don't want to have to deal with other people. But we push ourselves to do that. So again, this is a person, category two. And if you are in category two you have to ask yourself again, what are those things that trigger me? What are my areas of sensitivity? Is it lack of space? Is it privacy? Is it not feeling respected? Is it when people criticize me? Is it physical conditions like hunger, thirst, fatigue, PMS? When is my threshold for being able to be in control of myself lowered? Notice those things because as we said, anger is the inner teacher. It comes to teach us. Okay, the third category are people who don't get angry, but they hold on to resentment and anger for a long time. They're the ones who give you the silent treatment. And instead of communicating, even if they feel they'd like to communicate, they're also, in a way, almost getting a certain satisfaction of holding on to their anger. And with these people, sometimes the problem with them is that they only calm down when it's too late. We're going to talk about this more. So the goal is for all of us, is that our seichel should kick in quickly after the primary response of the emotion. And then we'll be able to calm down and find a place of calm much more easily. So anger is a signal and not a tool. what, What we do is we mistake anger as a tool and we use our anger to get people to help, to get people to cooperate, to let them know where they went wrong, right? To correct people, to stop a certain behavior that we don't like, but anger is not meant to be a tool. And this is a huge shift in understanding the purpose of anger. And why would Hashem give us anger, right? Why would he make that part of the human condition? So anger has its purpose. Number one, it teaches us things about ourselves, And the psychologist, modern psychology, concurs with this. They say that anger is there to teach us about ourselves. The question is, again, why would Hashem give us anger when it feels like we have no bechira? Our free will has been totally taken away. We don't respond in the way that we want to. We feel completely helpless in, in the face and the power and the intensity of our own anger. And as we said, we regret it. We say, who was that person? I don't want to be that person. We feel this ego dystonic um, experience of that's not me. So why would Hashem give us this? And again, the answer that we are told is because it teaches us about ourselves. Not only that anger, I have to close my phone. There's such a thing as good anger. Anger has its benefits, right? Mothers against drunk drivers. People who create organizations because of something that happened to them that they felt needs to be fixed. Those of you who know, I have an, I have an, uh, I have an article up on H.com this week that's getting a lot of comments. You can check it out because it's an emotional issue. It's about the new law in, in Canada, medical assistance in dying. It's about Canada becoming number one in euthanasia, in the world, in um, advising people to end their lives before their time. And it makes me mad. It makes me mad. It makes me angry enough to want to write an article because I experienced it firsthand with my mother and I want to prevent it from happening to other people. And obviously, Anger can be a good thing because anger signals that something has to be changed, either outside, in the environment, in our world, or more personally, something within me. Something has to be fixed within me. There's something about me that isn't, that is still wounded, that is not. She frozen again? Okay, is that good again? It's good now. Okay, sorry about that. So that's what we have to do. When you ask yourself, what is this trying to teach me? When you ask yourself that question, even if it's after the episode, that's already the beginning of learning how to self regulate. And that word self regulation is key. Okay. It already calms you down a little bit when you have that question, when you recognize that anger is not a tool. Anger is coming to teach you something. You're not supposed to be using anger to try and control other people. Right? We know you can't control other people. You can only control yourself. So. It already calms you down a little bit when you say, what is this trying to teach me about myself? And this is the ability to move from regesh, from feeling and emotion to the seichel. Again, another way of expressing primary response to secondary response. Emotion discovers a problem. Wow, that really triggered me. That makes me angry. What's the problem here? Is it a lack of space, lack of respect? Was it criticism? Was it simply that I'm tired and hungry and I I can't handle this anymore? Was it sensory overload? Too many people in my kitchen all at one time. I got to get out of here before I blow up. Whatever it is, okay? But it's moving, it's it's emotion, discovering that there's a problem, but not staying there. Passing it over to the seichel. What should I do? And I've given this example before, right? It's the example of a skilled surgeon who's in the middle of a surgery and he makes a wrong cut. And his immediate response is, but because he's so skilled and he's such a professional within millisecond, he says he moves from the emotion, the horror at recognizing what he did to the seichel that says, Okay, I can do this. I know what to do. And that's what you want, right? That's what you want. That's what skill and expertise is. Or Dina Schoomager gives the example of the teacher who's losing control of the classroom. And, you know, everybody's going haywire and she's feeling very emotional. Oh my gosh, I've lost control. I don't know what to do. And she said she had a real life example of this where her kid came home and said, my teacher sat down on the floor today in class and started crying, you know, like, or the skilled teacher, right? Maybe that's the student teacher or the kid who's just starting to be a teacher, right? But the skilled teacher who sees that she's losing control of the class and immediately recoups and says okay we're having a quiz everybody take your books out or you know um, giving a prize out to the first kid who's in their chair and she quickly takes that emotion of horror to the place of Seha that's what we want to do in every meetup, and specifically in anger which is really one of the most difficult and Rav who was one of the Musa masters of our generation says that that's what a skilled Balmussar does, in other words, a master of his own sense of self-control, that's what he's able to do. He's able to, in a split second, be able to self-regulate, be able to move to a place of control, and regain his equilibrium, and recognize exactly what he needs to do. And it could be, in the case of anger, simply keeping your mouth shut, or leaving the room, We're going to talk about the actual um, skills. Okay, so anger is there's a recognition that there's a problem here. And then I hand it over to the seichal. And I ask, what are you trying to teach me? Okay, so maybe I'm angry because I'm upset with myself. That's a lot of times why we get angry. Maybe I'm angry because I'm perfectionistic. Maybe I'm got angry because I'm feeling guilty about having left the $20 on the Shabbos table, right? Maybe I'm getting angry because I'm overwhelmed. I'm overloaded. As a woman, I'm taking care of so many things, the kids, the bills, the, uh, the emotional stuff, the physical stuff, the getting the food on the table every day, whatever it is, I'm overwhelmed, when you move from regish to seichel, it helps you calm down. It's a proactive way to let the seichel gain control. So for example, guilt is an emotional discovery. If my anger is being fueled by my guilt, what am I learning from this? It means I need to change a behavior. I need to make sure that before Shabbos, there's no money on the table. Or if I see money on the table on Tuesday, I move it. Because I don't want the same scenario to happen again and then burst into anger because of my own guilt of having left the money there or whatever the situation is, right? Um, So guilt is an emotional discovery. It means you need to change a behavior, maybe an action for the future. And we're not supposed to just stay in the place of guilt. I once heard that guilt is to the soul what pain is to the body. That feeling of guilt is to the soul, the same as a pain is to the body. What is pain to the body? It's saying, take care of this. You're bleeding. There's something wrong with your toe. You better go get to the toe doctor, right? It's a wake up. It's saying, pay attention. So guilt is saying, pay attention. What do you need to do so that you don't have to carry this guilt around? Just do it. Take care of it. Guilt does not serve me. So if the primary response is anger, very often for people, the secondary response is feeling guilty for getting angry. That becomes our secondary response. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I'm such a terrible person. I always lose it. Oh my goodness, whatever it is, okay? Now, instead of wallowing in guilt, what we should say is, okay, I got angry. I need to figure out how I can work on it. What does it teach me? Do I need more help in the house? Do I need more discipline so that I don't leave things to the last minute? Do I need to be more on time so that I don't make myself in such a harried emotional state by the time I get to where I want to be? And everyone else has to pay for it, right? So we all have our things that trigger us, you know, and we can be uh, injustice collectors, not just about what people do to us, but even out there in the world, right? When we see something unjust, we can get very upset about it. We can be um, underdog defenders, you know, when we see somebody getting beat up or whatever. I remember once had an experience, I'm sharing too much probably, but I thought it was so brilliant. I remember when my youngest child uh, was young, but he was a very insightful, smart kid. And I guess he had been accused of doing something that I knew he didn't do by my husband. So I was busy defending him, you know, which women do a lot of with their kids, right? No, they were tired. They were hungry. They were this, they were that. You know, we're always trying to, you know, defend them. So I was defending him. And this little wise kid said to me at a later date, he said, you know what? I would rather have be accused of doing something that I didn't do by Abba than have you two fight about it. I would rather that and I'm telling you that was such a shot in the arm for me to show you you know but we get in these modes of thinking you know I gotta fight for the underdog I gotta fight for injustice and we ruin everybody else on the path so it's just an interesting idea okay um Okay, I want to get into some more practical stuff now we've only got a little bit of time. So, anger is always represented by fire, right? Anger is fiery. You feel like you're burning up when you're in a state of anger. Um I mentioned that Joni Mitchell song. I would have liked to play it for you. I haven't I haven't heard it for for ages, but I was thinking of the words, so uh, I'm not going to sing it because I'm on this podcast, but whatever. If you, you can look it up. It's called Fire and Ice. And she just say, says in it, if there's one rule to this game everybody's going to name, it's be cool. If you're worried or uncertain, if your feelings are hurting, you're a fool if you can't keep cool. Charm them. Don't alarm them. Keep things light. Keep your worries out of sight and play it cool, play it cool, 50-50, fire and ice. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about Daniel Goleman, who's a psychologist and wrote a book called Emotional Intelligence and brought that whole idea into light that it's not IQ, it's not intellectual intelligence that makes a person successful in this world, but EQ, emotional quotient, which basically is talking about people who are very good self regulators. they know how to be in control of their emotions in a healthy way, not by repressing them, not by, you know, ignoring them, but by dealing with them in a, in a very intelligent way. And again, this is a homer. Some people are born with this ability. We have to learn it. So Daniel Goleman says, basically, he calls anger emotional hijacking. When we're angry, we're being emotionally hijacked, okay? John Gottman, who's a marriage expert, sees the major problem of anger in, in escalation. It's not so much that we get angry, that's okay, but what happens is our anger escalates, right? We're triggered, and then we just run with it. And it escalates because there's usually somebody there to fight with. We're not usually getting angry. You know, we're not usually fighting with ourselves. We do have plenty of that too. But, you know, this is okay. Now, Sarah Hannah Radcliffe, who we have here in Toronto, our wonderful psychologist and writer for Mishpacha, says that anger is an adrenaline response. It's, it, it, she sees it in biological terms. Now, our asfarim... One of the famous Muslims farm called Orchos Atzadikim, written by an anonymous author. Some say it was written by a woman. Um, it, it's in English. Orchos Atzadikim is the, the um, what is it called in English? The ways of the righteous. The ways of the righteous. There they said that anger come from anger comes cruelty. Okay. And what I want to talk about right now is how does anger and cruelty go together? The Ramchal, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato, in the Path of the Just, which is where we got all of our categories of angry people, says on top of this, this idea that anger leads to cruelty. He says that a person who becomes angry loses his seichel and begins to act like animals who are attacking each other. That's how we look. That's how we begin to behave. And the idea here, again, is that when anger gets out of hand, it can come to cruelty. So, you know, let's say you're angry at a kid, right? And you know there's certain things when you're not angry that you never say or that you hold yourself back from saying because you know that they are very hurtful. But all of a sudden, when you're angry, you know, you can't help but say to your kid, you know, if you would just be like your brother, your older brother a little bit, you know, it would be so much, you know, uh, you know, why can't you be more like him? So why do we say these negative things? Why do we say the things we say we're never going to say when we're in anger? Obviously, we say these cruel things in a moment of anger. That's the anger cruelty piece. So why does this happen? So we're going to go back to a little bit of biology. Again, Daniel Goleman explains in his book on emotional intelligence. Everybody's heard of the flight or fight response. Okay, and that's the response that we're in when we're angry. It's called the flight or fight response. It's a universal trigger. The universal trigger for anger is the sense of being endangered, threatened. And our adrenaline inside our body when we're angry is turned on as if we are in danger. In Sarah Radcliffe's book, Raising Your Kids Without Raising Your Voice, she says there's a physiological, what anger is, is a physiological response of adrenaline, which drains the blood and oxygen from your brain, okay, and brings it all into your arms and legs. All the blood from your head goes into your arms and legs, and now you're ready to fight Right, A mother will fight to the death physically to save her child or flight to run. I actually had a friend in Israel. I never actually spoke to her about it, but I heard, I heard about it. She, I remember when we lived in Binghamton together, she was taking karate lessons. Meanwhile, years later, they moved to Israel. And I heard that she was attacked by an Arab, like they were living up in remote somewhere, she was attacked by an Arab. She had a newborn baby in her snuggly. And she literally, that Arab ran away whimpering and, 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 and you know, limping after having an encounter with her because she was like mama bear. I mean, she literally whipped them. You know, again, that adrenaline of your blood going from your head totally into your arms and legs that give you that kind of power, okay? To fight off a dangerous person. So Daniel Goleman says, this is what happens to us when we get our angry. Our anger is like ignited by this symbolic threat to our self-esteem or dignity. How dare you say that? How dare you do that? How dare you mess up like that? How dare you talk to me like that? The me is so large, it's so all-consuming, right? There's a symbolic threat and your brain processes processes it as if you are being attacked, as if there is a wild animal about to attack you. When you're angered by someone who's criticizing you, it's an emotional threat. And that threat is processed by your brain in the same way as if someone was running after you to harm you. You get the same surge of adrenaline and energy in your arms and legs, even though you're not being physically threatened. The insult or annoyance gives you a quick rush of energy. And that's what Daniel Goleman is talking about when he says, now you're emotionally hijacked. Why? Because it's as if you're running for your life, but you're not. So instead, your reason turns into rage. The blood is coming from your brain. this so the blood is leaving your brain you're becoming much more powerful in your arms and your legs your brain is mush you've been high your brain's been hijacked and now your brain falls back into the most primitive responses So this is why in Orchad Sadikim the ways of the Righteous, it says, and now you're more likely to be capable of cruelty. In Hebrew, the word is achzarius. By the way, it's interesting. The word achzar, which is cruel, uh, a czar is a stranger. All of a sudden, that person is a stranger. You don't feel any connection to them. It's like they're strange or estranged. That's where the word cruel comes from. You don't see them as real. They're just the uh, target of your anger. And you can't think straight. They're they're there to, to harm you, right? They're completely one dimensional. There's no, you know, you can't even imagine a reason for why they could ever have done what they just did when you're angry, right? And it's just like if someone was attacking your child What happens is your brain becomes primitive because you need to become primitive because now you're in self-defense mode and you're going to do whatever you can to save yourself or your child. So when you're angry, your body processes it as fight or flight. Even though it's just a symbolic threat, you still have the same response. You become primitive in the way you think and what you say. Daniel Goleman explains. The Ramchal, Rav Moshe Chaim Lutzato, in uh, The Path of Our Justice says, and you literally look like an animal, even though you're not an animal. What makes us different than animals? We're called in the Torah, Ruach Malala. We're a speaking spirit. God put into us this Ruach malala that separates us from the animals. Rashi says it means that we have speech and intellect, When your brain is not working well, and your chaos is in control, I'm literally like an animal, and I'm functioning in a primitive mode. Normally, when we're not gripped by anger, we think things through, we process things, we're able to see other points of view, we're able to understand why another person did what they did, right? As Robinson Samet used to say, when it comes to ourselves we always have a million excuses for why we messed up, right? If somebody would ask you, why were you late? Why did you not get that done? Oh, well, you wouldn't believe what happened. I was in traffic. This happened, that happened. I was trying to get out and I had an emergency. Oh, I was tired. I was hungry. I was. We have a million excuses when it comes to ourselves. We can't even find one for the other person. What do you mean you left the money on the table? Well, I thought that's where you wanted it. What? You know, whatever, we can't find one for the other person. Okay, we normally think things through, but when we get angry, all of a sudden we become cruel. We become like a trained animal that the, the rabbis teach us. We wanna fight. So what we're trying to do is catch our anger before we get to this place. And that's very difficult because sometimes we go to the place of anger so quickly and we can't do anything about it. As I quoted Rev. Orlowick last week, he says, surprise is the enemy of emotion. Or I would even say surprise is the enemy of a measured response, right? When we're shocked or surprised, we immediately emote, right? Because it's like there's no time to catch ourselves. So what do we do? Let me leave you with a couple of practicals and we're going to end this class. Okay. So before you find yourself escalating, even though this is very difficult, there are a few tips that you can do. Sarah Hannah can explains when the brain is oxygen deficient, So when the brain is oxygen oxygen deficient, we start operating on automatic pilots and spewing out messages that we remember from childhood. This is what Sarah Chana says. We say things that we swore to ourselves we would never say. And we even said in our self-righteous mission statements, I will never say that. I will never do that. And we might even say that when we're children, when we witness people fighting and getting angry at each other. But she says those same statements that we say we'd never say are stored in our brain. And when your frontal cortex is working, you're able to keep those things at bay, because they're controlled. But when you're in emergency mode, and your cognition is failing, then these things come out. And you find yourself saying all the things you swore you never would. And we can't believe that when what comes out of our mouth at this time. So she's I'm still talking about the physiological. She said, this is what happens when blood is leaving the brain. So now we understand the problem. Now we get a sense of where, why it is that anger is such an intense, hot emotion. So what can we do to restore our physiological and emotional calm? So in emotional intelligence, Daniel Goleman presents two ways, a physiological and a cognitive way. And he says, people can choose the one that jives with them. So the physiological way are breathing exercises. There's emotional freedom tapping. There's all kinds of ways today that people talk about what to do when you're starting to feel angry. And these are, you know, it's counteracting the physiological response that's going on in your body. As you start to get triggered, that's very intense. And. By using physiological uh, methods to counterbalance it and to calm yourself down, this is one route, okay? So what can you do to wait out the surge of adrenaline? So he he says you should go for a walk. He says deep breathing. Another idea is distracting yourself. A lot of times we think distraction is a cop-out. But he says, really, if you can distract yourself from escalating in the anger, even for a small amount of time, it's called a neurological victory. He says, imagine yelling at someone. You're in the middle of a fight and then the doorbell rings, right? Well, we all know we go to the doorbell and all of a sudden we're completely, oh, hi, how are you? Yes, nice to see you. Great, right? So she says, think about it. When that happens, the doorbell rings and you're in the middle of a fight. You go back to the fight and go, okay, now where were we? All right, okay. No, no. even that short moment of distraction already de-escalated things, right? No, wait, I was talking. I was telling you what a complete, right? Doesn't happen. And even if we do go back to the fight, we don't go back at the same pitch that we were at before. Now in your head, you might still be very angry, but physiologically you had time to settle down. Okay, I'm gonna end here. I know we had some interruptions.